Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. 18 months or whatever, and we're kind of on this side of things, hopefully, and... Uh... And uh, it's, it's the idea that, you know, what you went into perhaps in terms of a relationship that was full of passion and life and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and all of those fruits of the spirit uh, has now turned pr- perhaps into feeling a little bit more like we're just kind of like roommates at this point. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be about relationships. I said that from the very beginning of this series, and hopefully that's uh, coming true, and we'll talk about that a little bit more today. But um, it, it, it could be, you know, you've, you've probably on this side of things had to be a little bit more strategic, a little bit more delicate, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, relationship relationships in general are just more awkward. That person that you used to be super close friends with, now it's like, oh, we're kind of friends. Things have gone distance, things have changed. We're coming out of it and we, we, how, do we, how do we react? How do we respond? How do we live this uh, new reality out and do it strategically? And so we said, hey, we wanna be a, a resource for that. If you feel like relationships are being held on by a rope, right? And every, like the fibers are beginning to fray. Uh, what if when, you, when we come together uh, for a few weeks, we offered some resources and some tools to help perhaps mend some of those relationships and reestablish some of those fibers and keep that relationship strong. And by we, I mean this. I started off the series in week one with, with myself saying, hey, as your pastor, if we were to sit down for coffee, here would be some advice, some tools, some questions, some things uh, that I would say. And then uh, in week two, my parents showed up because uh, they've been married for 42 years and I've been an insider into their marriage relationship and I think it's really great. And so uh, if you trust me at all, I would say, listen to them as they kind of come and it's kind of mentors or sages or I don't know, whatever, uh, tell you, here's what we would say about it. And then last week, Jennifer Dean Hill, a local counselor in the area came uh, and talked about it as well. Somebody who deals with this on a, on a daily, uh, in a daily practice and in a professional manner, um, in a professional setting, uh, here's what she would say we've seen coming out of COVID. So things like... Uh, in week one, remembering fondly, uh, you know, where, how this thing started. When, when things are bad, when things need repaired, uh, a good way to start is to be like, hey, let's go back to when we first said, I love you. Back to when we said, we're going to be friends forever. Back when it felt like everything was kind of running all on, on all cylinders. What was that like? What did you see? Just remembering fondly. Uh, in, in week two, it was kind of paying attention or spending focused attention on this person, um, trying to say, let's put the phones away. Let's do this. And we're in an attention crazed culture. We're being yanked side ways left and right. And if we really want, if we really value a relationship uh, enough, it deserves some focused attention uh, from us. Uh, And then last week, the power of praise, she talked about, you know, speaking life into this person and into this relationship, even when perhaps it's not there, um, perhaps even saying it so that it perhaps becomes uh, more true, not in a manipulative way, but just in a a powerful way. So I just saved, if you missed the first three parts of the series, I just saved you like three hours of your your time. So you're welcome. Um, (laughs) And hopefully that's, hopefully some of those things have been helpful for you. However, in wrapping up this series, what I really wanted to focus on is somebody in my mind who has heard these things and perhaps even attempted to put some of them into practice, who would say, there is a piece of my life that has felt in so much disarray, it has felt like a roommate sort of situation. Uh, and uh, when I hear you know, steps one through three, Brent, I want you to know I've tried that, I've implemented that, I've done it to the best of my extent, 
uh, and it feels a lot like the Sisyphus rock that just gets pushed up the hill and every day it falls back down and I got to do it all over again. And it feels like a little bit of bout of insanity in, in, to some degree, or uh, perhaps it's, it's, it's been one of those, those, those pieces where it's like, uh, there's a feeling of helplessness. Like I can't even begin to start. I don't even know what to do. Or when you say, go do this, it just feels like I've tried that. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I made the, the trek over the mountains to go to Seattle for something. And it was, one, it was one of those days where the pass got slammed with weather and there was like a semi that was jackknifed. We were stuck on the pass for four hours and it was super slick and we knew that. So everybody's driving incredibly slow. And in spite of that, next to us in the lane over on the inside lane was this giant Astro van hauling an Airstream, which is crazy, but it was. And it's going and we noticed that we're kind of like slowly creeping forward. Like everybody's moving at, I don't know how, one mile an hour, maybe something like that. It was really fast pace. I felt like I could get out and walk. Um, and I, we looked over and at one point I realized their tires weren't actually rotating. They were just being pushed along by the sheer weight of that airstream moving forward. And this guy is white knuckling it and his tires are not moving at all. They're just doing this and he's still going. And we're watching as the gap between him and the car in front of him is slowly getting slower and slower. And, and, and we looked and I thought to myself, if that, per, if that man's dog was sitting right in front of him, he could not stop this vehicle to, you know, to, to, there, there was nothing. It was like, you're just waiting for something, right? You're anticipating it. You're not wanting it to happen, but you're also not looking away. You ever been there? <laughs> so that's where we were. And, and it ended up like everybody kept moving forward. He got so lucky. The pace just kept at the pace that it was. And uh, I'm sure he was, he was throwing all kinds of bottle rocket prayers at that point to be able to make that thing happen. But anyways, that, that's the, maybe that's the, the, the spot that this is in. Like we're still, we're still together. It feels more like roommates, but there, it feels like I've tried everything. I've flipped the car into reverse and I'm sliding forward. A crash is imminent. It's just a matter of when, not if, but when, right? So maybe that, Maybe that's kind of been where this is at. And in spite of three weeks of doing this, you know, it's been, maybe perhaps in, the, in those situations, it's been really hard because either the crash is imminent or it's already happened. And you're like, this would have been a great series 12 months ago, Brent, but like, we're already separated. This is, that ship has sailed to a certain uh, degree. And, and you're listening to this and it's been perhaps, and you've shown up and it's been really, really difficult because, and it's no fault of them, but you've looked around at other couples who are sitting here and they're holding hands or they're naughty and they're working on it or whatever. And you're like, this is just, ugh, this is just a hard, this is a hard thing, man. It's, it's not an easy, easy spot to be in. So I commend you uh, in, 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 for you in those situations. And I wanted to kind of address it uh, in, in, in a certain way. And it is, it is difficult to be able to do that. And, and I want you to have the free, or maybe you're not in any relationship with it at all. And this is a tough one because anytime, you know, everybody wants, everybody who's in a relationship wants their pastor to talk about relationships because it's the thing that it, it, when it's broken, it hurts everything. Um, and then if you're not in a relationship, you're like another re- relationship or another thing, or maybe you're a high school kid or, or you know, I don't know, just you're, you're in that single season of life. And, and maybe the last three weeks have been like, wah, wah. I don't know how to participate in this. My, my encouragement to you would be like, hey, feel free to interpret this very liberal, liberally in terms of how, in terms of application and, and what you do with this. Um, I hope that you read broadly and not just in things that pertain to you. This week, I read a ton of stuff about the NFT bubble that's bursting with all this Ethereum and all the, I don't, listen, I don't own any Ethereum and I own zero pictures of dogs in futuristic armor as pictures that are J- NFTs or whatever. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It has no value to me. I know I'm probably the weird one. That's, that's true. That's very much true. But I, 
I wanted to read about what was happening because I am invested into other markets and I wanna understand bubble markets. So if you're not in a relationship, I still think that there's some value with this. You can read about this or hear about this or learn from this because you've had something in your hands that has kind of faded. Maybe it's been a job, it's been a career, it's been financial stability, it's been something, it's been good grades, it's been graduation, it's been, it's been this thing that's like, there, there resides my hope, there resides my uh, reason to exist. Uh, and, and perhaps through circumstances inside of my control, outside of my control, perhaps you've watched that kind of thing dissolve out of your hands. Then what do you do? And, the, and then how do you function and, and, and what takes place uh, as a result of this? And, and perhaps you've been in a state of mourning in that way. And you've watched as other people have come out of COVID and regrouped faster than you, right? They're, they're, they seem to have gotten back on track from a mental health standpoint faster than you have. And it's a struggle. It's like, why am I still... Um, struggling with, with, with some of this. And, and, and the, the thing that you would, the thing that I would, I would point to, and, and you may never put words to it, but there's some sort of like a thing called shame involved into this. When I've had my hope set on something and now I feel like that's not attainable any longer, I feel a sense of shame. And shame can come at us from a, different, a bunch of different ways. One, shame we know can come as a result of poor consequences, you know, consequences of poor decisions that we've made. Um, uh, and, and, and that's an understandable thing. But there's also shame involved sometimes in circumstances that are outside of our control. Uh, this man with the truck being pushed along by the Airstream, uh, t- to some degree, he'd be like, this is outside of my control. I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying. I would, why didn't you break? I was trying to. Why didn't you pull off the road? I, where? How could I have done this, right? There's definitely some instances in your life where you would say, something happened. I feel shame at no fault or minimal fault of my own, it, but there's still shame involved. It comes in all kinds of various forms and, 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 it's, and it's a struggle and it comes because we're feeling more like roommates and it's, it's a difficult piece to kind of wade through and walk through. Shame shows up early in the biblical narrative. You know, we're church, this is a church. We talk about scripture and how does this apply to, you know, begin to apply to our life. The good thing for us, shame is in like the first three chapters of the Bible. When you open it up, I mean, it's boom. It's like, here's what we deal with. The uh, Israelite people, they, they had a book. This would be their book of scriptures or holy scriptures or the Tanakh or, or the whatever. This is their um, sacred scriptures for what we want, the Jewish scriptures. And they had a book called Origins, the book of origins. Here's where we came from. Here's, how, here's what influenced us. Here's what spoke to us. Here's, here's who, why we are who we are, right? Uh, and in that book, they had a, a creation sort of story. They sort of borrowed perhaps a little bit from other uh, Babylonian creation stories, but their story was unique. Whereas other kind of worldly stories at the time about where we came from spoke about gods who existed out there who were battling against each other and needed mercenaries to kind of do their bidding so humans were created. But in the, in the, in the Jewish creation story, it was different. God created uh, mankind out of, a, out of a love, out of an invitation into this circle of harmony, out of his, the apex of his creation. Six days I spent creating, or five days I spent creating all of this other stuff. And on the sixth day, I created mankind. And then, and then I filled the earth and gave him this opportunity to kind of live this thing out. And it was, the point of it was uh, like, he, he formed man, the Adam, the man in, his, in, in, in the dirt, and then breathed his own life into this. There's definitely a different sort of resonance that comes with the story of, uh, of the Jewish creation story in this. And we said from the very beginning, uh, in I think week one of this thing, when everything was as it should be, in this story as it's being laid out in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, this man, this Adam, this, which basically means mankind or human, this human was given two things. One, a job. You will have something to do. You're gonna till the fields. You're gonna plant agriculture. 
You're gonna name the animals. You're gonna steward creation. We think that sometimes job came about as a result of the curse. Mankind ate the apple, and so therefore now you're gonna work nine to five or even worse, you know, whatever. But that's not true. Like from the very beginning, you will be incomplete without a sense of vocation. I'm supposed to do something in the world. That little itch that says, I wanna be able to step back after 30, 40, 50 years at a job, point at something and be like, I did that, I made that. That's not egotistical, that's ingrained in, and it can get egotistical, but ingrained in you is a sense of purpose, of, of meaning, I've, I've, I've added meaning to the world through the labor of my hands or my mind or whatever, right? So we said, before everything, before the curse began, you were given that kind of thing. And then number two, you were given a companion, he was given a companion. He had this, God had this conversation with himself about it's not good for Adam to be left alone. And it wasn't like men are terrible when they're alone. It was more like, I understand I, 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 I need, this person needs someone to do life with. And so he gave them this companion, this woman that he eventually named Eve. And, uh, and, and, and it was, it's interesting because um, I think a lot of times um, we, we struggle with this because churches are notorious for saying all you need is God or all you need is is Jesus, and in this story, he had that. It said that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, and yet he still saw something was missing. There's this idea of companionship, of doing life and community with another person. So he created this extra thing, this extra somebody to be able to go and do life with, which I think is so meaningful, because when that's then missing, that it rightfully kind of dominates our mindset. It, it, it does provide this big sense of meaning. A lot of times, sometimes when our, 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 our life um, is going seemingly well, but in the area of relationships and companionship, it's sort of struggling, it affects all of it. And we think to ourselves, why can't I compartmentalize this? I've never made more money than I have right now. I've never been more fulfilled in my job. My family is great. My relationship with my family is great. Uh, even my relationship with perhaps my kids from a previous marriage is great. So why in this, why is this state of singleness or this state of this relationship that's gone sideways or it's, it's awkward and it feels more like roommates? Why does this weigh so heavy on me? It's because I think you were created for that kind of thing. I think it deserves our, our utmost attention and way and why there's so much shame involved in this. To have this big giant weight of how meaningful this should be and to watch it falling apart really hurts uh, in this way. So Adam was given this companion and then we know the story, right? The, the temptation is offered this idea of what about this and what about this? It shows up in the mediator as a snake, but really it's just in life in general, we're given the opportunity to ask the question, what if there's something more for me that's being kept from me? What if God is not fully trustworthy? What if his authority isn't ultimate for me? What if there's more? What if there's something else beyond this? What if his way is perhaps not the best way, right? Is there something better, something beyond? The apple is eaten and it continues to be eaten by all of us everywhere when we go through the same exact questions. She eats the apple, she hands it to Adam, he eats the apple. And when we then assume the reins, which is what essentially is what's taking place in that. I want, I want control of this. I want to define what my future looks like. I want to be the one that makes the shots and calls the shots in this. When we assume the reins and immediately feel the weight of the inadequacies, God shows up, he comes down, he walks through the garden in the story, Genesis chapter three, and he says, Adam, where are you? Knowing full well where he is, giving him a chance to kind of out himself. I'm over here, why are you hiding from me? I'm hiding because I'm, I'm naked, right? And, and then God saying to him, who told you that you were naked? It was essentially a question of who told you that you were inadequate? Who told you that you have shame, something to be ashamed 
about? Who told you that you weren't enough? Who told you that I wouldn't be happy with what you are and who you are as it stands? Who told you that you had to kind of live up to something, right? And, and, and listen, we, we live in a culture that is kind of, there's, there's a, a vein of culture that's very super positivity, right? In terms of you are, you've read these books, you've you bought the sticker, you put it on your laptop, you are enough, you can do it, right? And all this kind of super, super positive stuff. And, and, and it's fine, but this is a question that goes even, even deeper than that. That's, those are, are great, but this is God saying, why even are you struggling with that question? Why is it that you're inclined to want to buy that sticker and put that on there as a reminder? Why is there something in you that even questions that? Who told you that you were not gonna be enough than that you don't measure, measure up. Who told you that if people knew the real you, you think that they would be disappointed? What is that? Who told you that? Their response was to make loincloths out of fig leaves. Their initiative, their response is to see the nakedness and the shame and to grab the thing closest to them and begin to make loincloths out of fig leaves. Their coping strategy was to take whatever was close at hand, which they could be reached easily and to try and make it work. And we know, you know, we, we know, <laughs> fig leaves don't make great long-term, it's not a great long-term solution. You know what I mean? Like that's not gonna last. And, and, and this is how we do it too, right? When we experience this kind of level of shame, when we take the reins of our own destiny and, and you know, refuse to come under and, and do this, we feel the, the inadequacies involved in this. And so what do we do? We reach for whatever's closest by and attempt to cover ourselves and cover our shame, which is why we dive deeply into our job, which is why we dive deeply into our work. It becomes the thing we're gonna define ourselves. As long as I'm known as somebody who works hard, as long as I'm some, known as somebody who's indispensable to this company, Right? We deal with this and we work through it, or, or perhaps it's different. It's we dive into wanderlust. We reach closely and we go, you know what's gonna help you know, make me satisfied and make me feel adequate enough? A sense of travel. It's like this perceived image of somebody who's seen the world and so and goes in hikes. I wanna be known as a hiker and an outdoorsy person, right? I wanna drive a Subaru so that people know, no, they know. I know how to navigate trails, you know what I mean? Uh, we, we do all of these things. We go from concert to concert. We dive into self-medication. Why? Because it's close at hand. It's in the fridge. It's right up there. We do this, not because we've uh, thought these things through, but because they're close by, they're easy to reach, and they numb the pain for a bit. And then every once in a while, somebody who loves us, who we trust, a family member, a parent, a counselor, or whatever, goes, you know, you know that this isn't a long-term solution, right? You know this is a loincloth made of fig leaves. Like, you can't just do this forever. You can't just travel forever. You can't just go to experience to experience to experience forever. You can't self-medicate forever, right? You know that that's not a long-term solution. You know you need something more. You know that fig leaves won't be enough, right? So the next part of the story in the Genesis narrative, verse 31, is that God shows up and makes skin coats for the human and his woman, and he clothed them. He sewed together the skins of animals, knowing that this would at least be a longer term solution to this. My wife came across uh, a book this week that she was reading, and uh, this is a couple weeks ago actually, and she sent this to me, and this has kind of shaped this message. It's from a, a woman named Cole Arthur Riley who wrote a book called This Here Flesh. And this story specifically, she had this fantastic insight. I'm just gonna read it because I don't think I would do it justice to try and interpret it by myself. So here's what she says about this. On the day the world began to die, 
God became a seamstress. This is the moment in the Bible that I wish we talked about more often. When Adam and Eve eat from the tree and decay and despair begin to creep in, when they learn to hide from each other, no one ever told me the story of a God who kneels and makes clothes out of animal skin for them. I remember many conversations about the doom and the consequence imparted by God after humans ate from that tree. Maybe that's the story you're more familiar with in church, right? They ate from the apple, immediately kicked out of the garden. You, childbirth is gonna be painful. You, you're gonna have to work the ground. It's gonna be full of weeds, right? We know that. I learned of the curses too and maybe even recite them, but no one ever told me of the tenderness of this moment. It makes me question the tone of everything that surrounds it. In the garden, when shame had replaced Eve and Adam's dignity, God became a seamstress. He took the skin off of his creation to make something that would allow humans to stand in the presence of their maker and one another again. Isn't it strange that God didn't just tell Adam and Eve to come out of hiding and stop being silly because he's the one who made them and has seen every part of them. He doesn't say that in the story, or at least we do not know if he did, but we do know that God went to great lengths to help them stand unashamed. Here's what we do know. God went to great lengths to help them stand unashamed. There is an undeniable shame involved in watching something that you once loved dissolve or decline right through your fingers, your marriage, your career, loss of a loved one, perhaps loss of a friendship, financial stability, or whatever. And what we've said is we're all in this In the last couple of months, this reintegration period, I went to a birthday party last night with people I haven't seen since, you know, pre-COVID stuff. And you're like, how's it going? How's life? What's it like? You know, this is your kid or did you adopt a a, a giant? What happened here, right? This is what's happening. We are reintroducing ourselves to a, a lot of, in a lot of different environments. And as we're doing so, if we have had something that has defined us in the past that is no longer there, it's been awkward. It's been difficult to be like, well, we're not actually not together anymore. Actually, something happened and everybody's just like, oh, all, we're all walking on eggshells. Everybody's nervous and we're not sure how to kind of begin to navigate this sort of things. And in, in our mind, you would never say this out loud or put words to it, but you would say, there's a version of me that, uh, there's a version of me that used to have this something, this marriage, this job, this career, this something, right? And now the current version of me doesn't have that anymore. And I know you liked and enjoyed that version of me, and I'm not sure how you feel about this new version of me. Therefore, I have a sense of shame, although I would never call it that, but I'm, I'm walking around a little tense, a little nervous, a little gun shy, a little bit like I'm not gonna take the risk that maybe I once would have. I'm not gonna open up. I'm not gonna, everything's gonna be harder kind of moving forward in this way. Why? Because I know what it feels like to have something that was awesome and now feels more like roommates. In a way, uh, you know, this series uh, hasn't even, hasn't necessarily been about roommates as, as much as it's been about uh, a couple of things. One, coping with a, a sense of loss, right? And, and we feel that most deeply in relationships, which is why I think it is about relationships. But a sense of coping with loss, tips to try and, here's some tips to try and hang on a little bit longer and work on some much needed repairs. But sometimes the rope does break, right? I mean, in spite of weeks one through three, in spite of, you know, pushing the rock up, in spite of all of this, it, it breaks. And what do you do when you're left, you're the one left holding the frayed end of a rope? What do you do when you're trying to reintegrate and life looks a heck of a lot different than it did? And you are given the opportunity, it's, the, it's as if the apple is still hanging on the tree, 
And the temptation is, do I trust that God's way forward is still the best way for me? Or do I now, in the spot that I'm in, try and do my own repairs? Do I try and be something, take control? Is, is he trustworthy? Is it good? Is he good? Is he all powerful? I mean, I, I don't even, I don't know. I'm so lost. I'm so upside down. And it feels like I'm not exactly sure which way to go. And if I've reached for that before, I know the inadequacy that comes with the weight of burden of being something and being something meaningful in this way. So my encouragement to the person in that situation would be, if I could leave you with one thing at the end of this series, is to point towards Genesis chapter three, when they did consume, when these, this thing happened, and when, when the perfection and, and the everything that they had going for them fell through the cracks and life began to feel a lot more like roommates for them. On the day that the world began to die, God became a seamstress because he cares, because he really does care about you and about this and about all of it. On the day that your world began to die, and I don't know when that was, but you do, you could point to it, or a season when it began to die, God stands there and says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you're a disappointment? Who told you this? Who's, what lie are you believing to think that you're inadequate in this way? Like who you are is about what I have to say about you and nothing about that has changed on the, way that, on the day that the world, your world, began to die, God became a seamstress for you. And then number two, really honestly, for, for us, we're a church, right? Every time that we gather together, we're trying to dis- discern as a community what it looks like to integrate this sort of way of life, Jesus' way of life, into our way of life, to be receptive, to be a witness to what he's doing in the world, um, to speak life into those things, and to you be the hands and feet of Jesus in this. And so if, they, if that's true, if the church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, witness to and actively waiting for his kingdom in the tri-cities as it is in heaven, what are the great lengths that we're going to or willing to go to to help people stand unashamed before both their creator and with one another? What, what, what are you doing individually in your life to go to great lengths in the same way that God went to great lengths to help people stand unashamed with their creator and with one another? Uh, to close out today, um, I want to play a song for you. I've only done this one other time in the almost 11 years that we've been doing church here. Um, but I want to play a song that I came across, or my wife came, again, my wife should be up here. She's the one that really wrote this thing for you. So if you like this today, it was mostly her. Um, she came across the song and she played it for me. And she's like, isn't this like really good? I think this would go well with the series. And I was like, okay, fine. I get the hint. We'll play it. Um, just kidding. I was like, oh my gosh, this has been wrecking me. And I want it to wreck you too. So that's why I brought it in here. If I'm going to go through pain, you're going to go through pain as well. So um, this would be, consider this to be my prayer for you. Should you be going through a season where life feels like the most critical, important things for you feels like more like roommates, okay? Um, it's a song written by a guy named Josh Garrels. Uh, the song is called Farther Along. Uh, if, if you want it or, um, well, if you want it, you have to buy it, I guess. I'm not gonna give, I can't give it to you legally, but I can point you to it. Uh, and if you go down to our note sheets, there's gonna be some things in there. You don't have to like write it down or anything. But um, the story behind the song is that he didn't actually write it. He adapted it from a hymn that was written in the late 1800s. Uh, by a guy named uh, W.B. Stevens, who was a traveling tent evangelist and uh, fellow church planter who started two churches in the Midwest, one in Missouri and one in Iowa, who had some hardships in life as, you know, 
a lot of people did during that era, uh, but none greater than having to bury all four of his children, uh, which can you imagine doing that once in life? Uh, and most of them being really young because um, life expectancy issues, but one of them as old as 19 years old, uh, their, their son uh, reached the age of 19 and his wife and, his, and, and him died childless, but not because they didn't have any because they had four and they had to bury all of them. And what kind of emotions would you have to, you know, would you have to wrestle through to stand up in front of people in a church setting as a tent evangelist or as a pastor of a church and preach about the goodness of God with that kind of a personal history going on behind you, right? What kind, of, what kind of thought process would you have to be like, is God still good? Why did any of this happen? Why do anything? Why, why, why continue to exist? You know what I mean? Like this is an incredibly difficult thing and I think you'll see that come out. The chorus is a direct adaptation uh, from this. So when he goes through the chorus, you'll see that is literally uh, W.B. Stevens and uh, his, his writing. Uh, and then the verses have been uh, a little bit more loosely translated and updated for today's setting. So uh, they're gonna play the song. We're gonna take the lights off of me because that's good. Um, you can focus on the words. Um, there's no need to participate in like singing along because you don't know it anyway. Nobody does, so that's fine. Um, and uh, I promise it'll all be over in a few minutes. And I appreciate you kind of doing this little thing with me. So this is my prayer for you. At this time, we're going to transition to communion. Uh, we close off every one of our series uh, with uh, communion. It's an act of the church that has been going on for centuries, millennium. Um, is a way of saying we don't ever wanna ever forget what took place in God's statement of love for us. We do it together in community with one another, anticipating uh, what is to come. So the band's gonna play one last song for us. I'm gonna have you stand real quick if you would. Um, there's gonna be two people, uh, two stations, one on the right, one on the left. They're gonna have a tray with some communion supplies on there. Feel free, uh, no obligation whatsoever, but everyone's invited to be able to come forward and participate. Uh, and there's just gonna be some explanation on the screens about what communion means to us and what we're participating in together. Um, and if it's not something you want to participate in, you're free to stay in your seat and uh, listen to the lyrics of this last song. And I'll come up back up at the very end and do a formal dismissal. But let's pray. Father, as we receive communion, may the truth of this, may the reality of, this, of these words, may the idea that we don't understand why all of these things happen and what goes on with this, but we trust in a God who does love, who does have a plan, who um, is in control and... Um, uh, the shame that we go through uh, sometimes is something that, you know, consequence of what we do. Sometimes it's just life, man. And uh, so I pray that we would uh, wrestle with some of that internally for those of us in that spot. Would we be a church community uh, that does our very best to help people stand unashamed with their creator and with one another? Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. In your name. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri Cities in your favorite app store.